This is Karen McGill, and you are listening to From Burnout to Best Self. Welcome and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 10 of the Burnout to Best Self podcast. I am sitting here on the floor of my closet. It is half packed and half not packed. (laughs) It's Saturday afternoon. I'm taking a little break from packing. We are moving next week. And I think what I might do next week is do a podcast from the road um, and just share a little bit more about myself and uh, why I came to the podcast, why I started doing it, why I use the format I do, and why we're moving to the middle of the country, which may seem counterculture when you know we live in this beautiful coastal California environment. Uh, but there's a lot to it, and I think a lot might resonate with those of you who are on this burnout journey where you're trying to find uh, peace of mind or more joy or more calmness, um, you might resonate with it. So I think that might be worth doing. So today I'm going to talk on a few different topics. And before I get into it, I actually want to talk about the format of this podcast a little bit. Uh, You'll find that the first few podcasts that I created uh, were somewhat scripted and that was intentional because my intention is to give you as much value as I possibly can in each episode without rambling. And we all have the uh, the, uh, the ability to ramble if we're given far too much time, I find. Uh, but I also felt like they weren't necessarily coming from the heart. They were feeling a little forced. And if one of the messages that I'm trying to bring to you on your burnout recovery is to feel like you're enough and to feel like what you do is enough to sometimes be okay with B plus work or, uh, you know, be okay with things that aren't perfect, then I need to walk my talk in every possible way. So the, the beauty of the podcast is that I can come here and speak from the heart and it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be perfectly scripted and, you know, every well thought out detail. Uh, I hope that you appreciate it for what it is. And if you don't, then, you know, I would hope that you would not invest your time in listening to it anymore. But this is really the way I want to come across, not just on my podcast, but in my life and uh, being true to myself. um, Oh, there's a podcast coming up about listening to your heart um, and a book where uh, that came to me. But I will pause there because I do not want to go on a side tangent. And today I want to talk a lot about self-talk, spaces and places. And I've got a book recommendation And, oh, something really interesting, a few nuggets from the book that I am listening to right now that I'm going to recommend. haven't even finished listening to it now, but I've got a really good takeaway. So that's everything that's coming up uh, for me this week and that I want to share with you. And the first one is really around self-talk and being able to notice the cycle of self-talk that is really unhelpful or downright destructive. Um, I have a situation in my life where I'm working with somebody, it's not a colleague, maybe a client, you would say, where everything that I produce and create gets changed and morphed and, you know, recreated in a different way. And I'm being asked to do a lot of things that I don't think are necessarily important or, um, you know, valuable. But because this person's a client, I'm trying not to question the things that they're requesting. I'm trying to just do it. But in doing so, because, you know, it's good for my employment and good for my work, I'm, I'm noticing that I'm starting to really um, chip away at my self-confidence in what I do. So if I send something that looks a certain way and it gets completely recrafted into something else, 
I'm beginning to take that as a what I created wasn't good enough or it wasn't right or it was wrong or broken in some way. And uh, that has been really difficult for me and triggering in a lot of ways in the sense that I, I can't even stop that cycle. And the problem with that cycle, and I think we've all been there where we get into these modes of, you know, what I'm doing isn't good enough and you start feeling more and more insecure about your work or whatever it is you're putting out in the world, whether it's you know, paid work or in parenting or however you're coming across in your life. And you start to become much more aware of um, your flaws and blemishes or what might not even be a flaw or blemish, but you see it as that. And it's, it magnifies it and it makes it even worse. And then all you can see in your mind are uh, the problems and the flaws and the negative and that can spiral so badly and one of the key things about burnout when we when as we know burnout is the result of chronic stress and chronic stress is really that gap where um, reality doesn't meet your expectations and especially if that's a problem where you're seeing it within yourself so if there's gap in the way you think you should look or the way you think you should be producing work or in your relationships with other people these can really um, start to blow up and fester and inflame and I'm noticing that in my work uh, with this person and The person is lovely, and I know they're not doing it intentionally. They're just the type of person that has very specific expectations, and I find that that triggers me sometimes. So I know that this is not this is my problem, and it's not hers. So I haven't spoken to her about it, and I'm not sure that I will. I want to try and manage it on my own and see if I can't just sort of self-diagnose what's going on and what am I contributing to this problem, and what can I fix on my own, and then if I can do that then maybe I don't need to bring that up with this person. And and then if I do, I will do that. I will either, you know, eventually walk away from the project or um, have a conversation um, because I know this person's very reasonable and very lovely and certainly wouldn't want to inflict any issues on me. So, but what I'm doing to fix myself in that moment is really look at my, t- my self-talk. So when I send something to this person and she recreates it or, you know, remodels it and refashions it in her own way, I'm looking to choose to look at that as, okay, this is her baby. And, you know, ultimately this needs to be something that she's comfortable with. I can only do things the way I see that, you know, they should be. And if somebody else sees them to be differently, then that's not good, bad, or indifferent. It's just different. And uh, I'm really sort of coaching myself as I, as these moments and triggers come up of, oh, what you did wasn't good enough. You failed because she changed it all. Instead of looking at it that way, I'm looking at it like, okay, uh, you know, she changed it. Clearly she had a very different interpretation in mind. That's fine. And that doesn't mean that what I did was wrong. Um, I'm also looking for point, and this is a little petty, but I am looking for points of validation where she is sort of over managing a situation that we're co-managing. And sometimes um, from the group that we're managing, we get pushback, like that's not really necessary. And I find that those moments are very validating because I too don't feel that they're necessary. And sometimes I speak up and question it very politely. And sometimes I don't because it's, again, a client relationship where, you know, they, they want what they want and that's that's their prerogative. Uh, but when other folks come to the same conclusion that I had, I take those moments of validation and I say to myself, you see, Karen, it's not that you're wrong or that you're broken or that you're not 
doing something correctly. It's just we have very different points of view on how something should be managed. And I've got to keep reminding myself that. And it it becomes a a mantra. And when I start spiraling, this is where meditation comes in because the, the beauty of meditation is that awareness builds and then you can start noticing when you're spiraling because very often we spiral and we don't even notice it. But when I do start to spiral and my anxiety starts to raise, I can say to myself, is this helpful? I, should I be thinking about this differently? Is there another way that I can look at this that will not make me spiral and that will not trigger me? And I'm finding that super helpful. But you can't get to that place unless there's space in your thought process and there's awareness that is actually happening. And again, that comes back to having a meditative practice where you can actually have some conscious awareness around your thoughts, which is so important and certainly not something that happens overnight, but is very, very helpful. So that's the first thing that I wanted to bring up today. And really the, the, the takeaway there is meditate, obviously. And for those of you that don't like meditation, uh, find something that has a meditative quality to it that will calm you down so you can actually be present with what's happening in your body, whether that's just deep breaths for like five seconds or maybe a little bit of yoga, rolling out a mat and going for it even in your bedroom or if you can't do it at the office after work or talking to a friend. Somebody who is really good at showing you perspective and objectivity as opposed to somebody who will just go right along with you like, yeah, that person's terrible. You shouldn't listen to them. That's not helpful either. So always looking for opportunities to calm and look for rational perspective and perspective that's actually helpful and not hurtful to either yourself or the other people that you have to work with. Because, you know, we all have to work with a difficult people. The person I'm working with is not difficult. We just have very different points of view. Um, but looking at it that way is also very helpful because I could look at her and say, wow, this woman's really difficult, but she's not. She's actually a lovely person with a very different perspective on things that I have to. So it's a difficult situation, but not a difficult person. I'm not wrong. She's not wrong. And giving myself that way of looking at it when I could be looking at it at a much more destructive level has been really helpful. So I hope that those, those thoughts and, uh, and experiences from my own current life can be helpful for you. Another thing that I want to talk about is, this is also from my current life, and really like the theme of this, this particular episode is going to be around diffusing anxiety and diffusing overwhelm in the moment. So as you guys know, I'm moving uh, next week. The movers come on Wednesday. It's Saturday as I record this. So as you can imagine, my house is a little chaotic right now. We're living, you know, with, with as little stuff as possible because most things are packed and everything's just sort of in boxes all over the place. Uh, and there's a lot going on this week. Um, with that, and, and I knew going into this experience, moving is like up there as one of the most stressful things that people in the Western culture, Western society actually go through. It's either job loss, death, and moving are the top three, I believe. So I knew that this was going to be a, a painful experience. And I really sort of set myself up with that expectation of this is going to be hard and I'm going to be easy on, easier on myself and gentle with myself as I move through it. But one of the things I had not anticipated was how space really um, flares up anxiety for me and, and um, frustration and anger and how it's being expressed. So I do, I'm not a neat freak by any means. And I pay somebody to come clean my house every two weeks. And, and in between those two weeks, I don't change the sheets. I don't clean the toilets and I don't dust. That person that I gratefully and happily pay 
does that for me. And in between then, I keep things tidy and I wipe down counters and stuff like that. We don't, you know, we don't look like we're living in a pigsty, but I don't deep clean on my own. And that's something that I'm really grateful that I have the, you know, the, the ability to outsource. But it, so my house is always somewhat orderly and we don't have kids, which I think is a big, um, a big help for, although my husband, he likes to mess, but that's okay. Uh, so we usually live in a house that's pretty orderly. If not, you know, um, it's not, it never sparkly clean, but always orderly. And I take for granted how much of an impact that has on my, my emotional well-being. Uh, I do notice that whenever the cleaning ladies come and then they leave and the house is immaculate, I have this sense of peace for the first 24 hours before, you know, things are all over the counter again and, and the counters are sticky and the, there's crumbs on the floor and the dogs have thrown their, their toys all over the place again. Um, in those moments, like right before all of like life happens, I feel very much at peace and I do appreciate that, um, those moments. But what I didn't realize is that the reverse is also true. When I'm living in chaos and mess, it really has an impact on my ability to concentrate and focus and be happy and joyful. So, um, it has made me really think about how space plays into the quality of life mine and, and, you know, the people that, uh, I share this information with, like, I don't know about you, but I look at, let's say home decor or spending a lot of money on your home. Like I, I want to have a nice house, especially because I'm a bit of a homebody, but I've always, you know, looked at Pinterest and Instagram and think, is it overindulgent to, you know, spend a ton of money redecorating or getting an interior designer to help you or, or, you know, spending a lot of money on your home, is that, is it overindulgent? And I'm not saying it is or it isn't, but it's always been a question in my mind. And I think that comes from, you know, immigrant parents who came to, you know, Canada with nothing, literally nothing, and always imposed on us that you should be grateful for everything you have. And whenever, now that I have more than my parents had, there's a little bit of guilt that goes along with that. And, you know, I could go out and hire a designer if I wanted to, but I really quite like doing things myself and DIYing things. And I also want to save money. And I also struggle a little bit with putting a lot of money into my home. And while this doesn't really have much to do with money per se, it does have to do with questioning that feeling of guilt around indulgence in the home. Because you know, if what we're here to do is to be happy ultimately, and it it's going to make you happy to have a nice home, then I don't necessarily see an issue with spending money on your home if you have it. Um, I mean, at the same time, I'm never going to post like model worthy pictures on Instagram of a home that is, you know, perfectly quaffed because that's not my life. And I don't ever want that to be because laying on the couch curled up with my puppy dogs and my husband and a glass of wine and a blanket and a bunch of pillows and it not it being a little in disarray feels totally at home to me. So I'm not necessarily looking for a perfect home, but what this experience over the past week of living in a home that doesn't feel beautiful or calm or orderly at all anymore, I've really noticed how much that's impacted my mood and my ability to feel comfortable and safe and, and at home and at peace in my, in my home. So, wow, that is a big light bulb moment for me. And if I, if I can give you any takeaway from that experience, it's pay attention to the things that make you feel calm and make you feel peaceful 
And also the thing, conversely, the things that give you anxiety or make you feel angry or tense or anxious and, you know, or not yourself. Um, I feel like that's a really important thing to know about yourself. You know, when we talk about self-awareness and you just knowing ourselves and doing the work to know ourselves, that's part of it. You know, just being aware of the things that, that change your, change the way you show up for yourself and others, um, and order and what's in your fridge and what does your living room look like? And how does your, what does your desk look like? Are you, are you okay in a lot of chaos as long as it's organized chaos and you know where things are? Or do you like a clear desk? You know, do you like bright rooms or dark rooms? What are the things that really sort of um, give you peace and a sense of grounding? Uh, I know for me now that I've gone through this experience, and I'm sure I've knew this in the past or experienced this in the past, but just wasn't aware of it. Chaos um, takes away my peace and anything that takes away your peace is not something that you want to have in your life. You know, anything that takes away your peace is too expensive. I think that's the little meme that I saw on Instagram uh, and chaos and, and boxes and, and disarray and, and a home that doesn't feel like a home anymore takes my peace away. So th- as I go into my new home, I'm really thinking about, um, you know, how can I invest in it to make it my home? in my most beautiful home because I'm almost 50 years old. I've worked my entire life. I deserve to have this home. So I'm going to be unapologetically, not decadent, but I'm not going to hold back. I'm going to make it a beautiful home for myself and my family and the people that come to visit me. And uh, I'm going to appreciate it for um, everything that it does to nourish me. So I'm going to take a little break. I've got a book reco and a recommendation that is, and uh, some really interesting thoughts around stress cycles and how you can, um, how you can manage them better. So hold tight, be right back in a secondo. And I'm back. Um, and I want to dive into a book that I'm listening to right now. And I will say that if you are not listening to audiobooks. Dang, you should. I really find that if you're somebody who has stopped reading simply because there's no space and time in life for it, audiobooks are a great alternative because you can really dive into ideas and hear them while you're commuting and while you're cleaning and while you're exercising and and doing whatever it is that you're doing in a day. There's so much knowledge to be had and I just find so much value in them. So um, I invite you to try out audible.com forward slash the fit habit. And uh, if you sign up for um, a free trial, I think you get like two free books. Maybe it's just one, but uh, even if it is just one, let's just say it's one for safekeeping. And if you get two, all the better. But I'm going to recommend one now, uh, a book, and it's called Burnout, The Secret to Unlocking the Cycle of Stress. Now, this is written by two sisters. One's a doctor. I believe one's a teacher. And they've got some really strong feminist opinions around burnout, which might be uh, unhelpful to some, depending on what your beliefs are. But if you are a woman that has, you know, a liberal perspective and is in any way open to feminist, feminist, feministic ideas, then you won't find this triggering. If you are um, anti-feminist or have more conservative ideals, you may not find it as interesting. But uh, I won't give you the entire download of the book so so far. Uh, but what I will say is that it starts out with a really interesting concept that um, even in all the work and research I've done around burnout, I'd never really considered this. And it is closing the cycle of stress. So as we know, 
burnout is uh, a result of chronic stress. And chronic stress happens not when, um, you know, something extremely stressful happens and then uh, it's gone, but it's, it can be something that's extremely stressful that happens and we don't resolve it, even if it's gone, or it can be low-grade chronic stress, like a job that doesn't engage you, that you stay in too long, or a relationship that just exhausts you, that you stay in too long, or uh, any of those sort of things. I mean, I'm not going to list all of the various different ways that we're all stressed out right now, because you know better than I how stressful life can be. But uh, one thing that I had never considered is there are cycles to stress. So let's, let's take an example, like a stressful job, um, or like a really, you know, stressful boss or a difficult relationship in the workplace. It can really trigger us on a daily basis to be in an environment where, you know, there's something that we don't feel like we can control. And there's a gap between, you know, how we think people should behave in the workplace versus the reality of our workplace. Uh, and that can wreak a lot of havoc on our system. And it moves us from uh, the fight or flight, or sorry, from, you know, regular uh, rest and digest uh, parasympathetic nervous system alignment, where, you know, we are just sort of going our day to day, doing our thing and feeling relaxed and, and living and thriving into that stress mode, that constant stress mode of fight or flight. So those are your two nervous systems, right? Like your sympathetic nervous system and your parasympathetic nervous system. And you always want to have your parasympathetic nervous system engaged as much as possible, unless you are in some sort of like crazy stressful moment where you need to like fight or flight. And that's what it's there for. But the problem with burnout and the way women are living today, we're constantly in that fight or flight mode where um, even if it's not like a major stressor, the ongoing daily stress keeps us in the fight or flight where we have like a really triggering moment. But even though the moment ends, we live it on in our heads and we ruminate like raise your hand if you ruminate over stressful, dumb stuff. I mean, I am with you, sister. I do it like all the time. I explained a situation earlier in this podcast, even when, you know, sometimes I'll wake up at three o'clock in the morning ruminating over the fact that somebody I work with has very different points of view than I do. And I can turn that into a crazy obsessive thing so easily. So how do we close the cycle of stress? Well, there's the stressor, which is the person out there that's or person, place, thing, or uh, situation that's creating the stress. But there's also the way we're internalizing it. And that's our nervous system reaction, right? So we need to somehow manage to the degree that we can the stressor that's externally. And if we can't, we have no control over it. All we can do is manage our, our reaction to it and our sympathetic, our nervous system reaction to it. So what we need to do is consciously bring ourselves back into a rest or digest um, mode, even after we've had a stressful moment. And a lot of that can be done just by a lot of the tools that I've been teaching. Again, deep breathing, um, like belly breathing, EFT, which is the emotional freedom technique or otherwise known as tapping. You may not want to be able to do it. You may not be able to do that at your desk at work, but maybe you can go to the ladies room, go into a stall and do a little bit of tapping or deep breathing. You can do anywhere. Um, you know, a practice of yoga or going even just the, um, active movement, like going for a walk or a run or working out, if that's your jam, any one of those things can 
reactivate the parasympathetic nervous system and bring you down after a stressful moment. Because here's what happens. If you don't like intentionally bring yourself back down after like a, 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 like a stressful moment, whether it's like a low grade chronic stressful moment or like something that's very traumatic, if you're not actively bringing yourself back into that parasympathetic mode, you're going to have a lot of problems, health problems, emotional problems, struggles. You're going to make life a lot harder for yourself. And we're starting to see a lot more of connection between like high stress, ongoing stress in life and health problems. So I, I really encourage you and, and invite you to think about what actively releases stress for you and how are you bringing that into your life? If you have a stressful life, Sometimes it's in your control to change the circumstances. Sometimes it's not, but you've got to be able to find a stress relief, whether that's, you know, working out, deep breathing, maybe, you know, you you escape with Netflix. As long as that's not, you know, becomes a destructive like escape that it starts to take place of your normal functioning life. It's fine to do it once in a while. I had to do it yesterday. Uh, We bought a car yesterday and I found the whole experience going to a car lot and buying a, a, we bought a, uh, one and a half year old uh, car that we're going to drive to Texas. And it's my car that I'm, I'm buying. And yet the sales guy was just constantly talking to my husband as though I wasn't even there and calling him boss. And it just triggered me. Like I wanted to punch the guy in the face. And then he acted like you would expect to use car scale, you uh, car sale, used car salesman to act. Everything about that situation was triggering. I knew at the end of the day, and I was very grumpy and I was not happy with him, but, um, he knew who, who was boss by the end of that experience. Let me tell you. But by the time I got home, I was so emotionally exhausted from that experience of being triggered again and again by this guy, uh, that I just, I needed to sit on the couch and watch a movie and like get lost in it and cry. We watched, um, a star is born. That was the first time I had seen that movie. And if you have not seen it yet, I highly recommend it. I was sobbing by the end of it. Oh my God. Even thinking about it now makes me want to sob, but that was perfect. It was exactly what I needed. I needed something that would help me release the pent up anguish I had had in myself all day. So, you know, being on the couch with my family, watching a great movie wrapped in a blanket and my PJs with a glass of wine was everything. I needed everything. And I woke up this morning feeling so much better. I went to bed at a decent hour. Uh, after all my sobs, it was just a great release. I had a deep sleep and um, got up this morning, worked out and started packing. So I know for myself what my stress releases are. And I really just encourage you to find them for yourself as well. And they don't have to be hard and they don't have to be unenjoyable and they don't have to be like totally enjoyable. Like, like what I did last night was totally enjoyable, but I might not do that all the time or else it wouldn't even become a stress relief for me. It wouldn't be a, um, an escape. It would be like a habit. And I really don't want to have Netflix as a habit, but find your things, find your jam and be very conscious about bring yourself into the rest and digest uh, parasympathetic nervous mode again. And I will say one thing I heard on a podcast the other day that I thought was really interesting. If nothing else, if you get home at the end of the day and you're really super stressed, lie down on your bed, put a pillow under your knees and a pillow behind your head. So be somewhat propped up like with your, your back and neck and head feeling supported and behind your knees feeling supported so that your, uh, your heels and your feet are a little bit, you know, elevated 
And apparently that puts you right into the parasympathetic nervous system, like by just manipulating your body that way. I had no idea. I also think back bends are really good for that. That's um, a yoga pose that you may not want to like just jump right into a back bend if you've had a busy day at work, unless you've warmed up doing a yoga sequence. But back bends are also really good for getting yourself into that parasympathetic nervous system or parasympathetic mode. So something worth Googling, doing a little bit of research and experimentation on yourself just to see what are what are the tools that need to go in your toolbox that are, you know, perfect for you based on, you know, accessibility, um, uh, your preference and, you know, how how easily can you get to it? You know, that's that's the biggest part of it. So find what works for you. One thing I will say about this book, and I'm going to close the podcast after uh, this comment, um, the, the, the authors have a pretty radical perspective on culture, Western culture, and how um, the expectations of our Western culture have really manifested this sense of burnout in women. And I do not disagree with that in any way. They went into a bit of a tangent around weight management and um, this this feeling of women and this ideal of being a perfect weight um, and how that has manifested in a lot of stress and a lot of, you know, not feeling good enough. And I get that as somebody who was previously 210 pounds uh, and has lost 80 of that, it, I understand completely how it feels to be not the norm from a size perspective. Um, So what they say is to celebrate the way that you are today, which I also agree with, but they also show a lot of, or they speak to some evidence that they've found that it might even be healthier to be overweight than it is to be a normal weight. Um, I don't know. I would question that. I would really want to dig into the science behind that because they speak to it a lot. They do mention that the BMI, like the body mass index, which you may or may not be aware of. If you're not, don't even worry about it. It's worth ignoring. But if you are aware of it and you are outside the norms of the BMI, then ignore it anyways, because it's such a random way to categorize whether or not somebody's overweight. Um, but I do think all of us should be loving ourselves enough to live a healthy lifestyle, which does not mean rock hard abs. And in most cases, rock hard abs can be indicative of a lot of things that aren't healthy, not always, but most cases or some cases. Um, but I, I do think that it's worth, uh, you know, questioning some of the things that they're saying about being overweight is just fine. And, um, that you might even be healthier. I I question that. I don't know if it's true or not. Um, Maybe it is true, but I've heard a lot of research to the contrary. When you you hear about new emerging research around intermittent fasting and giving the ability, the digestive system, the ability to relax and rest and digest uh, and the benefits of, you know, eating fewer calories all of those things, in my opinion, and, you know, the threat of um, lifestyle disease like cancer, heart disease, diabetes that are elevated when you are carrying around a lot of extra weight, not to mention how that impacts your your joints and your ability to move. I don't know. I question some of, of their celebration of being overweight. Um, I think being overweight is... It is what it is, right? If you're overweight and healthy, then rock on. And you're comfortable with the way you are, rock on with your bad self. Um, If you're overweight and unhealthy, 
that your body is telling you something that I think you need to think about and be aware of. Um, and if you're overweight and diabetic or facing, you know, some sort of chronic disease or an inability to move, I, I, I have to feel like there's, there's an opportunity there to, you know, love yourself enough to be in good health and to aspire to good health because, you know, health is, and the older I get, the more I realize this health is such a blessing and taking care of your body is such a, an honor, uh, that I, I, I find some of the, there are ideas to be a little aggressive, but I'll leave it there because I think everybody should have their own opinion on that. But that said, great book. Otherwise I would love and welcome for you guys to uh, give it a listen or give it a read, try audible.com forward slash the fit habit, and let me know what you think about it. And uh, I'm going to wrap up at this point because I think I've been rambling for about 40 minutes. Another thing that I would love to hear from you guys about um, is do you like this format where I'm just talking from the heart as opposed to something scripted? Does that resonate with you or do you prefer something that's like today we're going to talk about the eight reasons, you know, you should eat tomatoes and and list off things more factually? I would love your thoughts because uh, I'm here to deliver as much value as I can. But uh, I'm also not here to produce something that's perfect because I think this is beautiful just the way it is. And I hope you think so too. So uh, anyway, I will be around next week and thank you for listening. And I love you guys. Uh, Connect with me on Instagram at Karen McGill, C-A-R-E-N-M-A-G-I-L-L. That's my handle. And I'd love to hear from you. Take a screenshot. If you're listening, tag me and um, I'd love to connect with you. Talk to you soon, guys. Take care. You guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode of From Burnout to Best Self. I really appreciate you being here and I would super appreciate it if you would go to iTunes and leave me a five-star review. That really helps me get the podcast out to more people and to help me get better people on the, or not better people, but fascinating people on the podcast. So do me a huge, head over to iTunes, give me a five-star review. I would really appreciate it. And also... I would love to connect with you on Instagram. I like to see the people who actually listen to this podcast. I want to see my community uh, face-to-face. So go over there, follow me on Instagram at Burnout to Best Self, and uh, let me know you're a listener. I'd really appreciate it. If you want to do a screenshot of the episode that you uh, are listening to and share it on your stories and tag me, then I will be happy to share back. So um, thanks for connecting, guys. I love you, and uh, I'm so happy to be on this journey with you. Take care.